Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. I think it's safe to say that our luck has officially turned around, guys. We are back, baby. We're back. Classic. We are back. That's We are back. We are getting Doug back. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. Michael Preston. Oh, yes. Do you feel it? Can you feel it? It's that sweet ear honey. Back in your ears, that is. Michael Preston's voice here on the We're like 10 seconds into this season, and I already think more of myself, I think, than I have at any point in any season of this show before. This is the ninth season we've been doing this. We've been doing this show since 2012. Boy, that football team was really bad, wasn't it? <laughs> really bad. Kyle Bonagro from ESPN.com going to join us here in a little bit. Wrote a really great piece on Paul Wolf and his mother, who, as you may have known, had been missing for 40 years until she her body was identified uh, just this last fall. So we're going to talk to him about that, get his input on everything. It's a really interesting piece. If you haven't read it yet, please do so. The link is also... On the website, kookcenter.com, in the article we post for uh, for this podcast as well. So if you want to see it, uh, go there, and I recommend that you do. But we'll talk to him here uh, in a little bit as well. So, lots of stuff happened while we were gone, huh? <laughs> it's been it's been a little bit busy, and I, I mean I don't I don't just mean with Washington State. I mean just all over. I mean the Pac-12 has a new commissioner, George. Klevakov, I think, is how we're saying that. Klevakov, Klevakov, Klevakov. That sounds right to me. Um, and and I mean the guy's been on the job what a month and a half, and he's already got conference realignment to deal with, and he's got a coach who didn't appear packed off media days because he's not vaccinated against COVID nineteen as the conference required him to be, and he's got already talks of ESPN's impropriety with that conference realignment he's got all kinds of stuff on his plate already and i think that to me oh and who could forget nil who could forget uh name image likeness stuff i mean goodness gracious we've had practically nothing to talk about during the break at all but i i think for me that what all of this really means is that we are back and we are back just I mean, it just ever that inching ever, ever so closer to what normal was before. And I had kind of had an inkling, you know, back in the spring that we might not be completely done with this virus that we've now been dealing with for going on a year and a half. Um, But I didn't want to acknowledge that feeling. I didn't want it to be a thing. Um, it is unfortunately not the case. Um, the good news for us here in Washington, and if you're listening in Oregon as well, is that by and large, we are in better shape than most other places. Um, but I, I think at the very least, I still feel better today, obviously, than I did. I mean, even at this time last year. I mean, this time last year, I didn't, uh, 
brand new baby infant who, you know, I, I was worried to take anywhere. And I'm not exactly like, you know, as I kind of give you stream of consciousness here, I'm not exactly like hopping in every opportunity to take her somewhere right now, but I feel better about things. And I think one of the sure signs again that I feel better about stuff is that college football went absolutely, completely, and utterly off the rails over the summer. It just got flat out, out of control over the summer. It went insane in the membrane, insane in the brain, to borrow a phrase there from our good friends, the Beastie Boys. I, it just went absolutely nuts. And in every single way, it almost possibly could go nuts. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, 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 look, I'm, I'm just talking about Washington State even in this case. Okay. So let's just focus on Washington State just in the last, let's, we'll go back a little bit further so we can kind of get everything in here. But Jaden, your starting quarterback last year being arrested for your DUI, then being uh, found not guilty on that charge in a bench trial uh, late last month. Nick Rolovich and everything that went along with his declarative statement a few days before Pac-12 Media Days and just the absolute storm of attention, good and bad, mostly bad that came with that announcement. You had uh, you had Aiden Hector leaving. That was bad as well. Uh, and that's just at Washington State. Oh, and Jameer Calvin transferred, and Renard Bell got hurt, and now it looks like for the first time in a long time, receivers might actually be a source of weakness on this football team, and that's not a great thing. I don't like that feeling personally. Um, that's just at Washington State. That's just at Wazoo. Only place I'm talking about here. I'm not even talking about the University of Texas president getting drug in front of uh, the Texas state house to answer questions about why his institution might be leaving for the sec even though that's a very highly performative thing for the texas legislator to do because it's not really anything they can do effectively to stop it this has been it has been <laughs> i just like that is what has let me known we're getting back to a little bit of normal right and and I'll, I'll be honest, it was it was very easy to kind of ignore and not do this podcast because so much of the weight of the world is, is I mean, it's just everywhere, right? And I, I felt overwhelmed, I felt stressed, I felt completely and utterly lost at times. And it sounds stupid to say that um, about Washington State Athletics and about sports and about all that other stuff, but I've come to realize over the last eight to nine months, how dumb that does not sound and how, excuse me, it's okay to feel that way about sports because it brings you joy and it brings you happiness. And I like to see those things, even all, all the insanity that goes along with it, all the screaming at each other that goes along with it. I still like to see those things and it helped to get just that little itty bitty sense of normalcy we're getting that itty bitty sense back ever so slowly. I've been to a few sporting events, both with a mask and without a mask, as required by uh, the venue we were at. I've not realized, and now, and now, kind of like I've, I'd forgotten how much really having fans at a sporting event matters. And I guess it's fair that I shouldn't have known that before. 
but hopefully we can go through this 2021 without any big hiccups and with things being as close to normal as we can possibly make them um, be right now. Kind of the rub with all of this, though, and going back to normal is that in 2021, we don't really know what this football team is going to look like. And I've, I've been hesitant to make grand pronouncements about how good or bad I think the 2021 version of Washington State football is going to be because I think it's very hard to forecast that for any team outside of your Ohio State, Clemson, your Alabamas, your you know bigger schools with the big recruiting halls. It's just not really possible to do because the four-game snapshot we got of Washington State last fall was such a misrepresentation of the roster and of anything that resembles a normal football week of any kind. I mean, they beat Oregon State, and according to their head coach, they were missing 30-some-odd players. And then you get shellacked in the second half by Oregon. You get absolutely destroyed by USC after the game gets moved back back a night. And then you go out to a huge early late against Utah, and then all of a sudden, because you have no healthy players, everything just starts falling apart, and you have walk-ons and pretty much the equipment manager going out to play defensive line. So I, I, I really do mean this, and we've said it before, but you can pretty much throw 2020 in the trash can. That's not reflective of, you know, this coaching staff, these players, any of that, because nothing was normal about that. There was no normal game weeks. There was no normal practice weeks. There was no normal nothing. And it may not be completely normal now. It may not be what you remember game weeks to be previous to this year. But at least it will be closer. At least the routine will be there. So, will it be the same? Not 100%. Will it be a hell of a lot closer than it was last year? Yeah, you bet it will be. And that's, you know, regardless of whatever rules Pac-12 are going to put in place and that Nick Rolovich is a result of his decision to not get vaccinated is going to have to live with if he does come down with COVID. It's his choice. I don't much care for it, really at all, but that's his choice. And he's going to have to live with the consequences if there are consequences. And I can assure him there probably will be um, if the worst thing does happen. So that's how it's going to be. And it happened a few weeks ago, and that's all I'm really going to say about that because I'd like to move on and move forward with this football team. So, this football team has, I don't know if you've heard, a pretty good running back. A pretty good running back, who the other day after practice said he liked this offense better than Mike Leach because he felt like he didn't run it enough. And, of course, any running back, the caliber of Max Borky is going to think. You don't. You can hand the ball off to him every play of the game. He's still not going to think you're running it enough. Um, that's just, that's how it is. Um, but, obviously, the biggest question mark, again, is who is the quarterback going to be? Is it going to be Jaden Delora now that he's back practicing with the team? Is it going to be Jarrett Guarantano, uh, the transfer from Tennessee? Is it going to be Cameron Cooper, who is still around? Gunnar Cruz transferred down to, I can't remember which of the Arizona schools. Um, but who is it going to be of the three of those guys? And I, what is this? This is year 21, 20, 19, 18. This is the fourth year in a row 
we've got a question mark in who the quarterback's going to be in fall camp. I could I just I just want one year where we know. I just like if one of Guarantano is not going to he's a graduate transfer, so if he gets it, it's one year game. But if Cooper or Delora could just hold on to it one year, that'd be you know. Next year we can just say point it's that guy. That guy is a starting quarterback. I would simply adore that. I would simply love and adore that, and it would be so wonderful. Um, we're going to find out, obviously, by the end of camp, who it's going to be. I expect Nick Rolovich to be cagey with it, as he kind of was last year, um, in terms of uh, you know who the starter was going to be. Um, so probably don't expect to find out until even the week of. He's probably going to be equally as cagey as... Mike Leach is with that stuff, or was with that stuff, rather. Um, and, and again, you know, like we said, I said a few minutes ago, I, I feel for the first time in a while, I feel fairly shaky about the wide receivers. Without Jameer Calvin, without, Renat, without Renard Bell, um, I'm frankly worried about the wide receivers because this is not like the air raid where you rotate in a lot and eight or nine guys will see the field on a regular basis. It's pretty much the top four guys. Is Donovan Ollie going to be able to step up? What about CJ Moore? What about, I mean, Calvin Jackson's got his Z spot locked down. Who plays opposite Travell Harris inside? Who does that? Does Max Borgie get some run there like Jeff and Craig suggested on podcast versus everyone? I, I, I don't know, because the other thing is Deion McIntosh is a hell of an athlete at running back, and you kind of want to have all your best athletes on the field at one time. So if you can find a way to get them both out there in an offense that really only features one-back sets, then you might need to do it. And again, defensively, I feel like I've got question marks all over the place. What about the safeties? Can the defensive line get beefed up? I mean, outside of Brennan Jackson, the man just looks like he lived on a bench press. Like he literally fell asleep on a bench press and just woke up and started bench pressing for 16 hours. Please go Google pictures of Brennan Jackson before and after if you have not or are not doing so already. My Lord. This is like on the level level of Dion Buchanan from his freshman to senior year. Utterly beguiling. Is that the right word to use? Beguiling? I don't know. Whatever it means to be flabbergasted, but even a fancier word than flabbergasted. But there are still question marks just kind of all over the place. Not Watson Island. Not Jalen Watson. Not Watson Island. But I'm, I'm still, you know, we're in fall camp, and I suppose fall camp is for answering those kind of questions, but what happens? What is going to happen all over the place? One thing I will remind you of, whatever you see from the folks on the ground, Theo, Kook fan, everybody, they all, you know, do a wonderful job of reporting. Theo, especially day-to-day, is out there. Um, don't get too up and down with, like, if Jaden Delora throws couple of picks in a row. I think Guarantano had a few at practice the other day. Don't don't get too up and down. I can guarantee you the coaches aren't doing that because they're watching tape and they're going to see what caused the bad or the good, etc. So don't get too wrapped around the axle 
on a day-to-day basis about who performed well and who didn't because it's obviously it's it's in the overall who did better i i think if i had to lean one direction right now i i would probably lean towards Jaden delora because he's been in the system and even though he didn't get to practice in the spring he did not get to practice um he he still looked good very good at times last year and again i know i said we'll not lean on last year too much but i mean the kid looked ready for division one football and i don't know whether you know even with the spring guarantano can can get all the way there in this offense because you know i mean we saw gardner Minshew do it with just a fall camp but obviously there was some studying that went on before he even got to wazoo and also that's just kind of a remarkably special case so don't 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 lose yourself too much in you know day-to-day stuff keep keep an eye on everything so to speak take it from a guy who was at fall camp during the wolf years you don't want to get too impressed with somebody who looks really good because then that team's going to go two and ten i used to think those guys like i used to think that those guys were like oh my god it's so amazing how good they are not no no. just (laughs) don't it's also my quality as a talent evaluator not really up there so yeah uh, thank you for sticking around on a 17-minute ramble. We're getting those. We haven't done a show in a while. We're getting those first show like <clears throat> cobwebs, you know, shaking off a little bit. Um, I'm just happy to be doing this again on a regular basis. I'm happy you guys are listening, and I hope um, that you enjoy it very much all season long uh, into the winter because I think the basketball team is going to be pretty darn good too. So we'll be doing shows in the winter as well. I know I say that every year, but I really do mean it this time. Kyle Bonnegro from ESPN.com. We're going to talk about a great article he had out today on Paul Wolf, the disappearance of his mother, and the discovery of her remains this last fall. We're going to talk to Kyle about that coming up next on the Coog Center Hour. We're back on the Coog Center Hour, joined now by uh, Kyle Bonnegro of ESPN.com, who wrote, and I mean, Kyle, I we talked about this last week, uh, you know, that this story was coming on Paul Wolf's mother, Dolores, and her disappearance, um, you know, 42 years ago now. Um, and, and I think we all kind of, when Paul Wolf was at Washington State, we all kind of knew a little bit about this story that, you know, his mom had disappeared and his father had been implicated in her disappearance and perhaps murder, but it was never proven. And he gets a little closure I I would say maybe a lot of closure this last fall, but I mean, just how incredible was it to work on a story like this? Because you spent more than half a year putting this together, and the visuals that the folks at ESPN provided were pretty stunning as well. Yeah, it's 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 unlike any story that I've ever worked on in my career. I mean, there's there's few stories that are like it that have actually happened, right? So to be involved yeah. as closely as as I was over the last nine months, piecing it all together was was a really fulfilling professional experience, you know, it's challenging story to tell. Obviously it's a big responsibility to tell a story that is as deeply personal as this one is for Paul and the rest of his family. Right. Mm-hmm. What's, mm-hmm. what's kind of interesting is that you know, there had been several stories about um, Dolores' disappearance over the years. It was, a, it was a major story in the Sacramento area after it happened in 1979, you know, again, when, her husband Carl was arrested in 1985, and then it, it obviously bubbled up, uh, you know, at times during Paul's career, both as a player and as a coach as well. Mm-hmm. But there, had, there had never really been a story um, 
that this is what Paul told me is that there had never really been a story that pieced really everything together. And so over the course of the reporting that I did with my colleague Adam Rittenberg, we really learned a lot about what happened and were able to inform Paul about it because he was so yeah. young when everything happened. Um, a, a lot of his own memories from that time is, you know, shaded by the fact that he was 12 years old in 1979 in, in high school when his father was arrested. And so a lot of those details about what took place in those years, his family shielded him from. But now that he's, you know, 53 years old, yeah. um, he's certainly fair game to kind of bring him into the loop. And so we talked with a lot of family members. Um, you know, I think we, talked, we interviewed over 20 people over the course of our reporting. And only a fraction of those ended up making the, the final story. And we were able to kind of take all those stories and then bring them back to Paul and say, hey, this is what we learned about your mom. This is what we learned about what your family did, mm -hmm. trying to, to locate her to make your dad's life hell in the, in the early 80s yes. and during that period of time. <laughs> and so being able to piece a lot of that together for him was, was really cool. And there's a video at the top of the piece um, from 1979. We referenced this anniversary party in the story um, that video that you see at the top of the story, it's really, it's a short little clip. It's actually from that party. And we were able to track down a, wow. an old Super 8, Super 8 film from a family member, had it converted to a digital format. And sure enough, we got lucky that she was on the tape. And, and I'll never forget this. I, I shared it with Paul, you know, as soon as I was able to convert it over. And until that point, he had never in his entire life seen a video of his mother. Yeah. He's 53 years old. His, 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 he, the last time he saw his mom was in 1979. Since the day that she drove away, um, dropping him off at, at his cousin's house, he had never seen a moving picture of her mm -hmm. um, or, or, over the last you know, four decades. So yeah. pretty incredible for him to be able to, to see her on video and, and, and learn a lot of new information about his mother that just hadn't come his way prior to uh, the last nine months. Well, I think pretty incredible, too, that you were able to, I mean, uh, frankly, that that relative had that video available for you guys to use. Because, again, you reference it um, back to this anniversary party that um, that it's from. And I, I kind of want to I want to dig in a little bit. We put a link to your piece on our website. But if you guys can't find it there, I made it very obvious. The permalink's huge. But if you can't find it there, go to ESPN.com and take 15 to 20 minutes. I promise it's going to be super worthwhile because, again, kind of like I said, you know, we, we all kind of knew this about Paul Wolf and his family, but we didn't really know. And I think, Kyle, one of the more compelling pieces in this to me, I mean, there are a couple of things I want to talk about. I mean, there's actually a lot I want to talk about, but we only have so much time of the day. But one of the more compelling things to, for me to talk about here was obviously that his dad was not, you know, his dad had problems with alcohol. Um, Dolores had told family members that he'd threatened her life prior to her disappearance he handled it, and, you know, you never know how somebody handles grief, but he handled everything very matter-of-factly after she disappeared very much. She's gone forever. We should just forget about her, and she'd only been gone, you know, then a few days. Um, but it was that when Carl was finally arrested a number of years later, when Paul was in high school, he actually was bugged by the prosecutor to go into jail to try to get his dad to confess to murdering his mother. I, I, that's I. How do you wrap your head around that? It's wild, and you, and you hear Paul tell that story, and we had him tell it to us a few times just to make sure we we had all the details correct. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he said it's like nothing. He, I think his direct quote, maybe this didn't make the pieces. I've d I've done a lot of crazy things in my life, but nothing that I've ever done compares 
to that moment where he's sitting there on the other side of glass. His dad's in an orange jumpsuit. He, Paul's wearing a wire, trying to get his dad to confess. You know, can you help us out? You know, what do you know? Like, you know, the and the response from his dad was just to look down in the ground, wouldn't make eye contact. No, can't help. Sorry, I don't know anything. And and you know, Paul walked away from that meeting with his dad, believing that he would never, he would go to his grave, never say anything. And that's yeah. you know, that ended up being what, what what took place. There were other attempts from other family members over the years to try to get him to provide more information. Um, it just never happened. Um, so for Paul, that was that was the moment that that, that stood out, and mm-hmm. it was really the most involved he had had had, had gotten with the case at that point because you know like i said earlier he was so young when it happened so the family did try to protect him from all the you know it's that's a traumatic deal right your mother goes missing that's traumatic on its own the fact that your your father is likely responsible on top of that just adds an element that's just so tragic right Mm -hmm. yeah and and kind of you know one of the other things i wanted to talk about kind of in connection with this and i kind of leapt forward here a little bit but going backwards to his mom um disappearing was that um about six weeks later, it only took six weeks for part of her body to be found in San Francisco Bay, which we talked about um, before we started here, was actually the most direct route to water from their family home uh, in the Bay Area. It was like literally the closest place you could get to the Bay was in the city of Benicia. Um but the police there didn't make the connection that the Yolo County Sheriff's Office was investigating her disappearance nearby, and it had only been six weeks since she disappeared, but nobody made the connection until 41 years later. Yeah, that's that's the most frustrating piece of this for the Wolf family. Because right. had the Benicia Police Department done an, uh, you know... <laughs> An effective job with its own investigation it's it's certainly reasonable to expect them to have made the connection i mean this isn't we're not talking about a very big gap here these are neighboring counties it's about 50 55 miles away um there had you know there had the yolo county detective who i spoke with at length provided uh you know information to, to neighboring counties about the fact that dolores was missing so you would think that the detectives in Benicia would would have been able to connect the dots, and the detective who uh, initially investigated that case is is no longer around. He he passed away last year, just as uh, Kenny Hart, the detective in Benicia, was getting his investigation underway. So we didn't have the chance to discuss with him, you know, what steps were taken to identify um, that that Jane Doe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you, you also got to remember too that there were some technological limitations in that era. And mm-hmm. DNA testing wasn't around yet. The you know every everything, all the communication between agencies was done by fax machine. So you know you could you could certainly allow for the possibility that you know fax goes through and you know someone doesn't see it or whatever the reason might be. It doesn't mean that it's okay or acceptable. But it's easy to understand how those mistakes could have been made in that era, considering you know what tech you know what technology they had right. available to them. I mean, it, but it also brings up another question: like DNA testing came around in the mid '80s is when it first started being used. Carl Wolf was arrested in 1985. Um, I don't know. I'd have to double check to see when exactly DNA testing um, was was more commonly used. But they certainly could have run DNA on the Jane Doe 
um, that that had been put in into a local cemetery in Vallejo, right near Benicia, was sometime in the late eighties. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, we never got that answer. Like, why didn't they t- check take DNA from all the Jane Does in the you know everywhere really and put them into a database and then start doing some cross checking with family members of, of missing individuals. It seems like that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. It didn't happen and they waited forty years. But for the Wolf family, the fact that that didn't happen is it's it's certainly frustrating. A lot of the family members voiced their frustration to us. The detective who invested the case for Yellow County voiced his um, you know, frustration with us that they weren't able to piece it together while Carl Wolf was still alive. But it did happen, and and I think at this point the Wolf family is just really appreciative for the closure that they mm-hmm. that they received last year. Yeah, let's let's go kind of in that that in between time from the time Dolores disappeared to the time that Carl was arrested and ultimately released from jail because um, a judge said that you know the prosecutor wasn't um, observing his right to a fair and speedy trial. And we don't need to say this for anybody's benefit at all, but nobody's ever been charged. Somebody was charged with Dolores' murder, but nobody's been convicted. Nobody's been tried of anything. Carl has been the only suspect for a very, very long time, but um, he's no longer around to defend himself. But he has not been, you know, no matter how much the evidence points to him, he hasn't been convicted of anything. But the family in those intervening years, obviously one could see why they might be convinced that he had something to do with it. They pretty much made his life, as you pointed out earlier, a living hell. I mean, they I think they, you mentioned in the article, they smeared blood, um, animal blood on his home. They put up signs that I, I didn't say like uh, you're driving towards a murderer or something to that effect where they pretty much made everybody think this guy killed his wife to the point that he actually filed a defamation suit that got thrown out. But they, they tried to do everything they could to get a little bit of their own street justice, so to speak, if the prosecuting attorney couldn't do the regular kind of justice for them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's some of the stuff that really stood out during the reporting processes, just how insane the antics were that they put him through. Yeah, the he animal blood The animal the blood was a little, yeah. Other ones. <laughs> yeah, that was a little, I was, yeah. that was a there lot. Was a, there was another story, there was another story, there was another story, uh, you know, animal carcasses on the on the front porch. There was oh, another God. story about someone who had. Uh, long story short, there was a a mason jar of a pea that had been sitting for like several years in an attic, and they took that uh-huh. jar of pea, threw it through his plate glass window in, in his family room. It shattered all over his all over. Really, just insane, crazy things that were going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, they there was multiple discussions about uh, about killing him mm-hmm. by multiple people within the family. You know, obviously they didn't go through with it, but these were serious conversations that they had, and you know, people were willing to go down for it. Ultimately, they decided not to to, to go through with it, and you know, probably the right choice there. But yeah. you know, those are all things that they kind of they were so furious and upset, and that's the level it got to, which is you know. You just don't hear stories like this at all. No. Um, you know, I, I think, and again, something that we, we kind of all intrinsically knew is that Paul Wolf's a man who's had a lot of tragedy in his life, the least, um, <clears throat> excuse me, not the least of which, not, none of this is the least of which, but that, you know, he, he lost his mother at a very young age, um, lived with his uncle, um, and then actually lost his first wife after a long battle uh, with brain cancer um, in 2002, if I'm remembering right, remarried. Um 
but at, at kind of in those intervening years between the time his father was released from jail after about a two-week stint to the time that he died, I you know it was interesting reading the piece that Carl Wolf tried to kind of sort of get back in his son's life in you know a very weird way, including like meeting up with him after they beat UCLA at the Rose Bowl. Um, but I think uh, you know there's so much tragedy in this story, Kyle. But one of the things that stands out to me was that when Paul Wolf's dad was in the hospital and not conscious and somebody had to make a medical decision for him, the hospital called and, you know, effectively asked, you know, what are, do you know what his wishes are? Do you know if you'd want a DNR signed? And Paul kind of had to go, well, yeah, I guess. And then just hung up. Yeah. That's that he was putting in such a bizarre spot, right? Right. Yeah. You know, the hospital is doing its job to try to find next of kin to try to determine what the proper way to proceed with, you know, proceed is medically, and here, here Paul is, and this is 05. He hadn't spoken with his dad since 1988. Um, and here yeah. he is, the one kind of making this medical choice. You know, um, who knows what, what any of us would have done if we were in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't blame him for just saying, yeah, I don't like, no, I, what do you, what's he supposed to do in that spot? I wonder, it's, 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 it's bizarre. Like, there's, there's so many just, weird things and weird decisions that he had to make related to this over the years and uh-huh. that certainly was kind of the final capper right i mean he he pushed his dad at that, that, that meeting at the rose bowl after that happened paul's dad called him and tried to get back into his life a little bit and he pushed him again and he's like listen like if you don't tell us anything about what happened um you know there's no reason for us to continue to have a relationship yeah. this, this part didn't make the story but he said the carl was you know abusing alcohol at this point in his life and he he told paul something about okay well i'm never going to talk to you again i'm going to join the cia and move out of town or something like that just really just (laughs) just nonsensical um, story about how he's going to you know move on with his life we really didn't have a chance in the story to document what carl did for the rest of his life Mm -hmm. um but that part is um was pretty telling as well he he ended up moving out of out of woodland out of california he moved back to minnesota where he lived on his his family's his family's farm he had a, a younger brother who uh, ran he carl's from minnesota his, his parents and his brother and his sister still lived out in minnesota uh-huh. they didn't really know what to make of it and so they welcomed him back to the farm um let him live there rent free because he was financially ruined after paying for the lawyers and, and going losing his um, ability to, to to make money in, in Northern California. Um, we, we we spoke at, at length with Carl's brother, um, and he said, you know, at, at the start we kind of were giving him the benefit of the doubt, but it became very clear to them quickly that he was not the same person that they they knew, um, you know, years earlier in life. Mm-hmm. He didn't really have a particularly close relationship being. You know, halfway across the country, so Carl actually stole money from his parents that they had earmarked for their own funerals. And after he sold that equipment, he, you know, he he skipped town. Um, during that period of time, the brother Dick, um, who wasn't really, he didn't really know what to make of of the uh, the murder the murder trial and mur- murder charges um, that his brother faced. He became pretty convinced that his brother did it, and Adam and I spoke with him at length during the reporting process. We had a nice long conversation with him, and he said, you know, he felt so bad that he was this lifeline for his brother when he became convinced that his brother had committed the murder. So there was, there was really no one left on Carl's side um, when this was all said and done. Yeah. Um, the family does get a little closure, again, you know, thanks to that detective in Benicia who – 
with the help of, vol- of a volunteer network, finally made the connection um, with what was for 40 years a Jane Doe, but turned out to be, obviously, all this time Dolores Wolf. Um, the family gets what closure one can get from that, at least knowing where your mother, your sister, your daughter, um, whoever she is to you, your aunt, um, was all these years. You, you at least get that. Do you think... I don't want to say they're satisfied with that because obviously they would have liked to have seen Carl behind bars for a long, long time. But do you think they're kind of at peace with, and Paul especially, you know, given connection here to Wazoo, um, do you think that they're as at peace as they can be um, with this? I realize, you know, it's kind of a tough question to answer, but like, do you think they're they're as, as as at peace as they could be? Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. And I think I'm equipped to, to answer it because I asked a bunch of them how they have dealt with it. And, you know, I think this was a very significant step for just about everyone we talked to. I don't know if there's anyone who we talked to that it wasn't a a significant step. For Paul specifically, this has been a really a a journey of self-understanding. I mean, he learned a lot about himself, his, his, his childhood that he didn't know. He learned a lot about his mother that he didn't understand. He, um, you know, he, he found out things at the memorial service about his mom's personality, stuff that mirrors his own personality. And I, I think he's been able to take a lot away from that. And, you know, he told, he told us that he has, um, there's like a peaceful feeling that, is, that has come from this. He had thought that he had processed everything appropriately over the course of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't like it was something he thought about all the time. I mean, it was certainly ever present in that it was always going to be a part of him. But the fact that he went through this process over the past year, learned more about his mom, learned more about himself. Um, I think it allowed him to feel closer to his mom. And there's something kind of cool about that, right? That he wouldn't have had those feelings, this, you know, renewed sense of closeness with his mother had her remains not been identified. So from that standpoint, this is an overwhelmingly positive experience for Paul. It, of course, you know, drummed up some memories and some, some, some bad feelings that were associated with her disappearance. But this is, you know, 100% a, a net positive for him and, and the family. I know that his uncle Slick, um, who we write about, you know, in the piece as well, you know, the fact that he is going to be able to be buried, um, you know, on the same plot as his sister meant a lot to him. And so mm-hmm. everyone's taken little pieces of what happened and kind of fitting it in to, you know, whatever their, you know, whether, whatever their own personal journey with this story has been. And so for, for Slick, the fact that he gets to be next to his sister reunited with her, uh, you know, in the ground when, when it's all said and done for him was, was significant. And there's other, you know, similar stories from, from other family members about what it means to them on a personal level. It's one of the best things I've read all year. And I don't, I don't just mean that because he's on the telephone with me. It's an absolutely extraordinary and exceptionally reported piece. You can find it on ESPN.com. We've got it linked at kookcenter.com. As well, Kyle Bonagura from ESPN.com. Thank you again so much, sir. We appreciate the time. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Let's get to talking about name, image, likeness a little bit. If you are an avid listener of this podcast program, and I hope that you are, uh, you should know that this is something that we have been advocating for. Why do I keep saying we on this show? That I have been advocating for. I think it's because I have producers. That I have been advocating for. That was just an incredible 10 seconds there going back and forth. I'm not editing that out. I never do. 
um, that I've been advocating for for a number of years. And it's because it is what I felt to be the best marriage of paying players, but also kind of not taking away the soul of college sports, which I've acknowledged in the past is runs in direct contradiction to my desire to see these players compensated is that if they really ever did get compensated as they should be, this would largely just be relegated to being a minor league sport and I probably would lose interest. But I, I was so tickled to finally see that this is some, you know, Max Borgie can use cameo to get his offensive linemen some steak dinners. Um, and that, you know, like, um, like every Auburn offensive lineman can get sponsored by an oil change place. I'm just assuming, I'm just assuming, but there were a bunch of other, you know, really fun, uh, ones I was reading. Didn't like an entire offensive line at, at a, at a college get sponsored by like Zaxby's or Bojangles. Now there's one I'd be behind, like a little booberry biscuit. Oh, I really need to go visit my in-laws in North Carolina again. I need a booberry biscuit. Um, but th- that that was something that I was thrilled to see. And as usual, the NCAA handling it in a way that was very much, here's your deadline. Like every, you know, junior high, high school and college teacher you've ever had gives you a month-long deadline. Then you find yourself scrambling the last minute to finish it. And they go, why does this look like crap? Oh, I just did it yesterday. Well, I gave you a month to do it and go, yeah, well, I did it last night. That that's the NCAA is me in history two forty. That's what they are, which I think was like Mayan and Aztec culture history. I I took it my senior year to finish my minor. And it was like everything got done the morning of a lot. Like it, it got done super late. So the NCAA is you with a really bad case of senioritis. That's what the NCAA is. Um, but that they fi- they finally did do something after having their hand forced by a bunch of states that passed laws to allow this. And they, they were going to have to do something, otherwise things were insanely uneven everywhere. And they their hand was forced. And it, it finally good that it is now where it is. And I'm glad that we also saw those concerns about, you know, Title IX, and even though it had nothing to do with Title IX, and it not being fair for female athletes, go pretty much unfounded. I I think we kind of knew they would, but now for sure, because we knew that female athletes with large social media followings um, were due to pay in. Like Instagram followers, there were there's a pair of twin women's basketball players. I cannot remember the name. I am just a superb podcast. I was clearly researching everything I do before I go on this show. But they have hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers, and they instantly got endorsement deals. This benefits you know how many every every single college kid I swear has three thousand Instagram followers. So at at the very least. Do you not think that new coffee shop in Adams Mall in Pullman is looking to spend, you know, 500 bucks a semester on something? And do you not think that one of those athletes would not be tickled for the extra 500 bucks, whether it's beer money, whether it's just extra grocery money, whatever it is? I I don't care. You're now allowed 
to profit off this thing that you should be allowed to. It allows for the return of the NCAA football game at some point in the future. Lord knows when that's going to be now. I got super excited over the summer when that got announced, and then quickly the rug yanked out from under me when EA was like, oh yeah, probably not for like two years. Then why did you tell me that? Electronic Arts. I'm just, I, I, I need a sip of beer to... It's just terrible. And I still think about it. But <laughs> I, I, I was very happy to see this thing that I've wanted for a long time to be there. And, and, and I think because it, it's, you know, like I said, it's the, the perfect marriage of allowing athletes that freedom that they deserve. Because what's always stuck with me was a great analogy many years ago, maybe not an analogy, but basically a story where I as a student say that I had gotten my then girlfriend, now wife, pregnant when we were in college. I could have asked friends for money. I could have, you know, nowadays I could put stuff on GoFundMe. I could have done anything. I could have run a friggin' diaper drive, you know, come drop off diapers at Michael's house. D'Angelo Castro could not do that. And I use him very specifically as an example because that is precisely what happened to him. He had a baby in college, or more accurately, his partner, his girlfriend, whatever, whoever she was to him, had a baby in college. And he had to leave to go play professionally because D'Angelo Casto can't profit off his name, image, or likeness, so he can't make money to pay for things like necessities for a baby. I can't donate toilet or you know uh, diapers or clothes or food or whatever. And if you guys don't have kids. Uh, that stuff's expensive. I, I I I knew it before. I really know it now. Even at Costco, <laughs> it's not cheap. You rack up a lot of points. I'm paying for that flight to Cabo next spring pretty easy at this point. But that that's the big difference. That, as well, a music major is paid for their role in a concert the music department gives but a football player is not paid for their part in a football game the school gives that's the difference and now the playing field is a little bit more even in that way i still think there's work to do and this is obviously not a perfect system because again the ncaa did the homework at the deadline but it will get there hopefully and it will get better and it will get smoothed out and things will get sorted out I think you're going to see again, it's going to be more even than you think between female and male athletes. You know, female athletes with a big social media following are going to do well. And so will Max Borgie doing cameos to get stakes for Liam Ryan and Abraham Lucas. It's going to do really well. (laughs) It's a good kid to use money for that. I would have bought a flat screen TV. Absolutely would have bought a flat screen TV. Like, I, I, no chance. I, we, we split, do you guys remember um, plasma screens? My two roommate, two roommate, two roommates and I, yeah, two roommates and I uh, bought one our junior year. Split it three ways at 900 bucks. That was an extravagance for a college kid. And that, you know, burned in images and whatever else on plasma screens. Oh, God, those things were awful. God, they were awful. Ask Michael anything. Dunderhead of the week, month. Half a year, whatever you want to call it. Coming up next here on the Kook Center Hour. 
Dunderhead of the week. I'm actually going to make a Dunderhead of the week. Um, my wife and I and our daughter enjoyed a lovely family trip with um, some of her relatives to Sun River uh, last week. I'm hoping that becomes a family tradition. She used to go every year as a kid. Um, and I, I would like to do that. I, I really like Sun River and I love, love, love Bend. Uh, we got to go to Immersion Brewing, Crux, Bre Crux Fermentation Project twice. Um, they had their stout on nitro. Whoa. Oh, God, it was 86 degrees out. I had a stout. Oh, my God, it was delicious. They have uh, downstairs, we have their currently crazy, really delicious um, as well. I had a Boneyard IPA waiting uh, for a pizza. Uh, also very good. And that kind of rolls in uh, to what I was going to say. Although, also, I think Center River Brewing, a little underrated. Pretty decent little beers for uh, not too terribly much. If you can find them in the brewery, I think they're pretty good. Um... You've heard everywhere about staffing shortages and, I mean, you know, driving all around Oregon, especially in Bend and Sun River, they're resort towns, maybe not necessarily Bend, but Bend still depends a lot on tourist dollars. Um, I saw now hiring signs everywhere, right? And, uh, you know, I, there are lots of political talk about that and and uh, extended unemployment benefits and whatever else. I, I'm not going to get into that right now, right? That's, that's not important to this discussion. All you need to know is that, yes... There are staffing shortages everywhere, including in these resorts, and it is a problem. Um, the way to fix it, however, is not to yell at the poor 17-year-old girl taking your pizza order, okay? There's a great little pizza shop in Sun River. I'll, I'll, I'll name them. Blondies. They're great. They're not paying me. Maybe they should with NIL stuff. But anyway, love Blondies. Perfectly great pizza especially in a resort town. Nothing better. I, I really love like resort town pizza. One of my favorite things, super underrated. Same with like ski area adjacent pizzerias. Really good. But I, after going around trying to find a place to eat dinner at the few restaurants they have there and the waits being two plus hours, I finally said, fine, we'll bag it, we'll go get a pizza. Well, everybody else had the same idea. So when I went there at 6.30, the wait was an hour and 45 minutes. Okay. We're eating dinner late tonight because I didn't plan properly, and that's how it's going to be. So I left, and I came back at about 8.10. I checked on my order, and she said, you know what? I'm so sorry. We just put it in the oven. It's going to be another 15 minutes. And you know what I did? I saw they had beer back there. I got a beer, and I sat on the deck and waited for my pizza. But no, did that stop multiple other people from coming up and yelling at this poor 17-year-old girl? Maybe not yelling, but forcefully talking to her about how upset they were with their long wait and how inexcusable it is that they have to be waiting this long for a pizza and how come they can't do it in the time they quoted and blah, 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 blah. She's a teenager. And these kids are stressed out. If you can't tell that by walking up there, maybe open your eyes a little bit. And it ain't their fault. They are short-staffed. It is not their problem. So do not take it out on these kids. Instead, maybe sit back with me, have a beer with your friend Michael, and calm down a little bit. Everybody's going to get their Blondie's Classic, their Blondie's Combination, actually. That's what it is. Pepperoni, sausage, Canadian bacon, mushrooms, sweet onions, and some olives. It's really good. Really good. The garlic bread's pretty killer, too. Ask Michael anything.
I just don't get it. I just don't get what's so hard about not yelling at kids. Poor kids. I don't get it. I don't Ask Michael anything. It took a while on the Twitter, but we finally got everybody to respond here. Uh, the first one, no, no response. The second one, when I admonished everybody, we finally got some responses. At BDenny29, Brad Denny. Is Rolo the head coach at season's end? Yes, I certainly think so. I mean, barring some um, issue, basically, where the vaccine he he's not taking right now is approved by the FDA and the school says you now must take it because it's fully approved by the FDA and he won't. And that is in violation of his contract. If he won't do it then, then yeah, he, he won't be. But outside of that, yes, probably. At Zimcaster, Matthew Zimmer, who wins the QB competition? Expectations of Max Borgie and best defensive position group. Pick choose whichever one you want. One, all or none. Given me options. Um, I think I'll pick defensive position group. I'm still weirdly in a good place with the defensive line. Especially with Brennan Jackson up there uh, and Ron Stone. I feel pretty good about that. I feel pretty good. Uh, at Ben Wyman. Ben Wyman. My wife is a Montana Grizzly. I'm a Coug. Would a Pullman Moscow football doubleheader be possible on October 23rd? Grizzlies and Idaho at 430. WSU, BYU. Not announced. I know it usually stinks, but in this case, is it okay to pray for an 8 p.m. kickoff? No! Noon. Pray for a noon or 1230 kickoff. Do that instead. Unless you think that Grizz-Idaho game is going to be over real quick. Although, I think Idaho beat Montana last year, didn't they? I believe that's the case. I didn't pay as much of a... T- or this spring, rather. Uh, I didn't pay as much of attention. At Chris McKinter. Chris McKinter. Pizza rolls or bagel bites? Oh, man. You know, my wife used to get bagel bites in her dorm room when we lived in Pullman. Those have a special place in my argument when we first started dating. I'll go with pizza rolls, though. They're a perfect... Had a few too many beers type food. Uh, at CQG8606, just get the vaccine, please. If you had to put money down on one of these two things happening, which would you choose? Rolo gets vaccinated or Mike Leach wins nine games in Mississippi State? Um, I would on it. <laughs> I'd probably go with Rolo. I, I just... Mike Leach winning nine games in Mississippi State. Oh, boy. That's... Uh, I mean, look, if he thinks he can do it down there, good for him, man, but... I, boy, that's not the job I would have taken to make it my last football job, I'll tell you that much. At Theo Lawson, SR, our friend Theo Lawson, you can add two former Cougars to this year's team, one on offense and one on defense. Who are you picking? Oh, my. Oh, man. Well, I don't like where they are at receiver. So, probably have to go Brandon Gibson or Gabe Marks or Desmond Patman. Probably go with Gabe Marks over those guys, or in of those guys. And on defense, oh boy. Dale Buchanan's an easy choice here. Um, but I think this team could use a little bit of leadership over there. And I think Jihad Woods is a perfectly good leader, but there's something about Peyton Palour, man. There was just something about that dude that just exuded confidence and everything else. I might go with Peyton Palour over there. At WSU Brady 27, Kyle Smith for president. Conference realignment. Is there anyone specific you would like the conference to add or specifically not add? I do not want anything to do with BYU or Baylor. Please keep them the heck away from my football con- from my athletic conference for that matter. Not just football conference, from my athletic conference. Everybody else is kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. I mean, cool if they get added, but if they don't, whatever, that's fine. Uh, at Lil Taco 21. 
Thomas, 69 inches tall, Beeson, nice. Best and worst college football or NCAA sports in general, take you saw this offseason. Oh, man. Oh, God. <laughs> Anything John Rothstein writes. <laughs> Is that too much of a cop-out? Is that too much of a cop-out? Because, like, I didn't... I couldn't think of one, but just, God, that dude's just so insufferable, right? He's so bad, man. He just, he's so holier than thou about college basketball. It's just so much easier to acknowledge. It's such a gross sport. It's so gross. At Schulte 10 Nick, which teams would you like to see join the conference in the Big 12? Are you in favor of complete merger? Not complete, like I said. Um, I, I think if you really, if I really drilled, that, real, dr really drilled down to it on that, I, I think Kansas... And probably Texas Tech would be the two best options of what's left. Because um, Oklahoma State's not really moving the needle in any direction. Although it might be Oklahoma State, Kansas, and Texas Tech. Those are probably your best options of what's left over um, in the Big 12. we got a few um, of those types of questions. So we'll skip Totes McStow's Ziggy. Favorite dish, meat, or app that features Cougar Gold? I can just go Cougar Gold mac and cheese. I made Cougar Gold burgers once. But you get that ghost pepper cougar gold, by the way. I, a, I just eat it plain. But B, it goes on anything. Seriously, just go to the grocery store, get a Granny Smith apple, and just slice that up and put that cheese on there. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's amazing. It's so good. Uh, at Riddler83855 Riddler, how bad do you want to see Coach Rolovich tell Paul Petrino to get it? <laughs> when did Leach do that? Was that 2013? Was that 20? I think they were neighbors, too. So it was extra spicy. I really liked that. That was so funny. Uh, so bad. <laughs> so badly. So, so badly. So badly. Uh, thank you for sticking around through the first edition of this. We'll get better, less rambly, all that other good jazz on every subsequent show. I so appreciate it. I love doing this little distraction for me and i hope it brings a little joy and happiness into your life to listen to me stumble all over stuff and ramble a little bit uh from time to time so we'll see you next week another edition of the kook center hour coming your way uh on august 19th 18th whatever day is next wednesday